Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. All right, we're back. Podcast 359, Kurt Morton's here. Maximize your influence. Where we learn to maximize every aspect of your life from your mindset to self-persuasion to motivation to negotiation to the skills. You've heard me say it before that we should have learned in school. Welcome back. Hope you have a good week. Things are still crazy in the world as always. It's been a long week for me. I'm suffering from Zoom fatigue. I actually clocked in over 32 hours of webinar, Zoom meetings, online training, crazy stuff. But I think I'm getting used to it. It doesn't take as much bandwidth as it used to, although I still prefer the live face-to-face training. Stick with me today, going into space and proxemics and how that can help or hurt your ability to persuade and influence probably things you haven't even thought about before. But let's start off with the geeky scholarly article. This comes from the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, Dr. Simon Vazir, and Spring.org. This is titled, The Desirable Traits That People Cannot Judge in Themselves. (laughs) We've talked about this on the show before. It's called self-perception bias, called the Wobegon Effect. Basically, we just cannot judge ourselves. There's very few things that we can. And we're going to go through the things we can and the things we can't. Now, social psychologists do call this the Wobegon effect because of the book Lake Wobegon by Garrison Keillor, where in this town, all the women were prettier than average, all the men were stronger than average, and all the children were smarter than average. We have this bias, especially in the workplace, especially with skills we think we should have. We rate them a lot higher than they actually are. Now, sometimes we do went lower. The lesson is we're just not that good at ranking many of our skills. For example, when I teach persuasive presentations and we record the first video just to kind of get a default setting, see where they're at, their strengths and weaknesses, I have people evaluate how they did. And they're all over the map. They are either way too high or way too low. We just cannot coach ourselves sometimes. We just don't know because we're not able to externally really judge us, especially without that bias. That's why 92% of managers rate their managerial skills as above average. 85% of high school seniors rate their driving skills about average. And my favorite, 90% of people rate their people skills as above average. And we all know that's not true because you know that annoying person that nobody likes, that rubs it the wrong way, that thinks they're funny, but they're not? We've talked about this. That could be you. That is you. Anybody get along with people that are like them. But true persuasion and leadership and influence comes from getting along with everybody and adapting to different styles. Remember the goal. You're supposed to influence people how they want to be influenced. So let's dive into this study. So the article talks about people are worse at judging the following things. Their own levels of intelligence. They probably think they're a lot smarter than they actually are. Their own attractiveness. I can see that going either way. And their own creativity. But then they found out, and I didn't know this one. This is something I learned, that we are good at judging our own levels of anxiety and sadness. And he said the reason that people are good at judging internal feelings are because they have direct access to them. So that kind of makes sense when you take a look at public speaking or influence. Those are external things. We really can't engage ourselves as much as what we're feeling on the inside. But then they want to say people are worse at evaluating themselves in comparison to others. So when it comes to these things and we're comparing ourselves to other people, 
were either going to be way too high or way too low. So the study included 165 people that were given tests of personality, intelligence, and how they reacted to various social situations. And again, the finding was people are best judging their own levels of anxiety. But they said the major difficulties, as far as judging your traits, was judging those personality traits. Like I mentioned, attractiveness, intelligence, creativity. And they found there was so much at stake in our life, meaning we have to be intelligent. We need to be attractive. We want those traits. And a lot of times we give ourselves those traits. We're just not good at judging those traits. Because everybody wants to be seen as intelligent and attractive and creative. And Dr. Vizier goes on to explain why those traits are so hard to judge in ourselves. And Dr. Vizier found that when we look in the mirror all the time, you know, as far as our attractiveness and how we look, that we still can't judge ourselves compared to a photo of somebody else. So anxiety, you're good. (laughs) But attractiveness, intelligence, creativity, you should let other people judge them for you. In fact, go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com, find the archives. I did a whole show just recently on what it takes to be more attractive in your photos. Let other people judge your photos because we are too close to it. And we cannot judge ourselves. We're either going to be way too high or way too low. In fact, as I looked at self-perception bias over the years, these are the five areas, and they're not in any particular order, that we tend to rank ourselves way too high. People skills, persistence, communication or presentation skills, personal mastery or, or personal development, and our persuasion skills. What do you know? There you go. There's the geeky article of the week. Which brings us to the Persuasion Ninja. I heard this one on the radio. It was a generic phone company, a cell phone company. But they used this example. Let me back up a little bit here. When I was doing research for Laws of Charisma, I found that charismatic, influential people use more metaphors, more similes, more examples more fables than the average person because it just rings true. It makes things easier to understand. In fact, most of our language has these type of examples in it. And I heard a great one, want to share it with you. So they're talking about all this bandwidth that people buy on their cell phones and this generic company could do it for half the price, the same amount of gigs that you really don't need to be paying for, yet you're paying way too much and you're not using all your bandwidth and all your data. And they said, here it is, here's the example They said it's like buying a whole row of airline seats just for you. That's what you're doing with your cell phone. You're buying all this data and you're not using it. Just like in an airplane, if you bought a whole row, it only sat in one seat. Now, I'm paraphrasing there, but that's a great example. That's what people need. It just makes things ring true, especially for complicated things people don't get, people don't understand. A good analogy, a similar example can ring true to people. It makes perfect sense. I heard a great one the other day. They were being all complicated about going into ketosis and the keto diet and how you should be eating more fats and more protein and fewer carbohydrates. And you're like, uh. And a confused brain says no. And that was all this scientific facts and what your body does. And it was going back and forth. But then they brought it back to an example of a fire. That carbohydrates are like kindling. They burn really fast. They're really not worth much. And the first thing's to burn. That happens. Your body doesn't burn off fat. But if fat's the only thing on the fire, fat would be a big log. It burns a long time, and it burns first when that's the only thing on the fire. My, oh, well, that makes sense. That's the key. That's what you need to do. That's why they are the persuasion ninja of the week. Time for a listener email. Oh, boy. So this is Kurt, and he admits he spelled it the wrong way. It's C-U-R-T from Florida. I'm a K-U-R-T. 
says, Kurt, thanks for the podcast and the persuasion software. I'm using it every day. I have a question about using space, spatial relationships, how close you stand to somebody. You called it something else. I don't remember what it is, but can you fill me in? I think I might be one of those close talkers that you talked about violating people's space. Well, Kurt, thanks for your email. And of course, you get free access to the gold version of InfluenceUniversity.com. Listeners, check it out. Just go to Maximize Your Influence. All the links are there for the free book, Maximum Influence. Pick up a little shipping and handling to take your free Persuasion IQ assessment. There's also a free area to Influence University if you want to check it out. It's the advanced training. So, Kurt, let me answer that question. It is called Proximics. In fact, if you're a Seinfeld fan, I'll put a link to the Close Talker episode, a little clip there. And you know that to be true. People talk a little too close to you. And we feel uncomfortable when people violate our space. In fact, lawyers are taught to get into people's space. They want them to feel uncomfortable when they're interviewing them on the witness stand. Just think about this. How many have a father or grandfather, their favorite chair, everybody knows it's their favorite chair, the stranger comes over and sits in their chair, the energy in the room? Or maybe you have a North American talking to a South American. See, in North America, we like about 24 inches. South America is like 16 inches. And as North Americans, we keep backing up wanting more space because we're not used to it. And it varies on culture. Some cultures in the Middle East want to feel your breath. Germany's a little bit bigger. It's 28 inches, and it varies. And it also varies by size of the city. I think you've seen those videos where they're cramming people into the subway. Okay, So you live in a big city, you probably want less space than if you grow up on a farm. Just saying, just put it out there. Let's talk about space and what can help you and what can hurt you. This comes from anthropologist Edward Hall. Came up with the name Proximics. We said how people react, configure, and occupy the space around them. We all want our own space, and we feel uncomfortable when people violate our personal territory. And this sounds obvious, but research shows that many persuaders who get too familiar, too fast, violate people's space, get too close, especially when you're first meeting them, that doesn't build rapport. And most people don't even know they're violating people's space because that's what they're used to. It feels comfortable to them. Some people go out in the audience and touch people, and I've seen it happen where people just didn't want to be touched. And that person wanted to touch them, and then you could tell... There was tension in the air. I mean, think about it. You're in a movie theater, 150 seats. There's 10 people in there, so you spread out. That's what people do. That's the man law. You cannot sit next to another man if there's a lot of seats around. Guys, verify that for me. But if you're in this big theater, seats everywhere, and somebody comes, a stranger comes and sits right next to you, that would be a violation of space. And it could be your territory. A bigger office, a bigger plane, fighting for the armrest on an airplane sitting at the head of the conference table versus violating someone's space, getting in their face, yelling at them. These are all subsets of proxemics. And just a main lesson up front, it's better to give someone too much space up front than not enough. Even when we have a space at the supermarket and someone's waiting for it, it's still our space. And we hesitate, we delay to back up a little bit. That's why it takes people so long to get out of their space because you're taking their space. It's why at seminars, people sit in the same place every day. That's their space. And if you sit there, it bothers them. You can tell them. You have to give permission to sit in different spots. That's their spot. That was the first place they sat. You are stealing their spot. It's going to hurt the relationship. So this proximics refers to the distance that one keeps from others, as well as the one's relationship to the surrounding environment. And even when you're standing across from somebody, we found, especially male-to-male, standing at a slight angle is less confrontational, doesn't violate the proximics as much. Female-to-female tends to be straight across. Even female-to-male tends to be straight across. So if it's male-to-male, even at a restaurant, sitting across at a slight angle is less confrontational. That is proximics. 
Imagine if you're someone's office and you picked up your chair and you went behind the desk to put your chair behind the desk with them. Definite violation of space. Again, touching things on their desk. Those are things to look for. And I mentioned this earlier on the show when we talked about persuading left-handed people. Uh, take a look at their desk. And you should be sitting on the less cluttered side of the desk. It doesn't have like the computer and the phone, all the other things. That's where they're used to looking. That is the space they're used to talking to people in. Now, obviously, if it's family, you've known them for a little bit longer, you're good friends, the space starts to shrink. Humans, just like other animals, they claim their territory. That's their territory, their home, whatever it is, we have our space and that is our space. And now I'm going to add with the crazy COVID world, the space handshaking getting a little too close. It's kind of widening a little bit, especially those that are freaking out, that are full of fear, that might be in the high risk category. They need more space. I've seen it's kind of expanding a little bit with the crazy things that are happening in the world. And the interesting thing here is that people just expect you to know it's their space. Even though everyone's a little bit different, different things bother them, you have to read their body language, know that you're getting a little too close, you're touching something you shouldn't, you're sitting where you shouldn't. Those things will hurt rapport, your connectivity, and the relationship. Now, if they're used to the environment, they've been there quite a few times, Probably less space. A foreign environment, foreign country sometimes, we need more space. So Dr. Anthony Athos was talking about this behavior, the rules of space. He came up with three rules. Kind of a little bit duh factor here, but let me just give them to you anyway. More space is better than less. I mentioned that. Private is better than public. And touching higher is better than touching lower. Okay, so just put it out. There's something to think about. But when you deal with this space... I mean, there's the science that we're talking about today, but the art is really learning to observe others, how they interact with others. Are they a person that wants a hug? Do they need more space? Are they afraid of germs? Are they the type of people that really doesn't bother them? So you really need to observe and be aware of their personal space. Gauge how they react to other people if you can. Be sensitive to those unspoken messages. Be observant of their personal space in their office. Is it messy? Is it clean? Organized? Disorganized? Where they place things? Where most people sit? And if you don't know, maybe you want to ask. But this is a big part of influence and especially that rapport. Again, this is based on culture and personality and where people grew up. That's why personal relationships, we sit a little closer. Business relationship or business seating, there's a table between us. I mean, very few people like it if you sat right next to them going through the information unless you had a relationship, unless you were considered friends. Just don't violate what's called their personal zone. Now, they say that personal zone is about one and one half to four feet with most friends and coworkers, And that's where they're standing around the water cooler, developing that relationship. Then they call the social zone, which is four to 12 feet. That's used with people you've just met. So give them the space. Let them come closer. But you don't want to be the one violating that space. Then they have one called the formal zone, which is 12 to 25 feet. Reception halls, lobbies, waiting areas. These are strangers that you don't want to talk to and you don't want to meet. So, Kurt, with the wrong spelling, hopefully that answers your questions. I will send you info on InfluenceUniversity.com. Thanks for your question and the kind comments. Hopefully that helped you out. Get into proxemics to study space. Can help you, can hurt you. For most people, they violate it. They don't know it. They're the close talker. They're that person sitting in the wrong chair, sitting in the wrong way, making people tense. And sometimes it's just a subconscious trigger. People don't know why they feel tense. 
And it could be you're talking too close, you touch something, you sat in their chair, the way you're sitting, all of these things come into play. We don't even think about it. That's why most persuasion, 95% involves these subconscious triggers we don't even think about. And also today, by special request, a persuasion IQ question. Oh, yeah. Remember, I mentioned you can take your free assessment online, see where you rank, and get you a little feedback and a gift for helping me with my research. And I guarantee you're going to love the gift. Here's a question. One of the 12 laws of persuasion and maximum influence is a law of scarcity. It is the most abused and overused law of persuasion on the book, sale-ins today. I mean, really, how often can a furniture store go out of business or the last one left in your size? But again, if you don't have any urgency, people do nothing. So here's the question. What technique creates the most urgency or scarcity? Now, all these techniques work. They all create urgency, but one out pulls the other. You want to know what it is? Well, here's the list. A, deadlines. B, limited space. C, restricting freedom. D, might lose out. And the answer is C, restricting freedom. Now, we know scarcity is critical to help people make a decision. It's using a form of fear, that psychological reactance to make a decision. We have to use it in the right way. I'm not going to go in the formula today. That was in previous podcasts. Take a look at the archives. Or send me an email to talk about it, and we'll give you access to Influence University. You have to use it and use it the right way. Now, let's talk about this restricting freedom, since that one pulls a little bit better than the rest. They all work when they're done in the right way. You see, we want what we can't have. If we're told a product or a service will soon be unavailable, we want it even more. Our desire goes up, and our urgency to act goes up. So if you can create a scenario where you tell your prospect that the offer is only good for so long, or restrict their freedom, or there's a waiting list, or won't be available anymore... They'll want to take advantage of that opportunity or they're going to lose out. It's almost like you're restricting their freedom. When you walk through a store, do you see sold signs on things? Other people have taken them. This creates urgency. In sales, sometimes they call this the takeaway close. If you take away the opportunity for the prospect to make a decision to get involved to buy, they naturally want it more. Romeo and Juliet, or you tell any teenager that they can't date somebody, they want to date it more. You're restricting their freedom. So this strategy also works well when you want to see if your prospect really is interested in what you're providing. If you're stuck and not sure how much time you want to spend with them, take it away. They can't have it. Restrict their freedom. And if they say, okay, and walk away, you've saved time, but they're probably going to want it more. Either way, you're saving yourself time, energy, and money. So anything you could do to restrict their freedom, get them to qualify, take it away, they are going to want it more. That is the one piece of scarcity that pulls a little bit more than the others. They all work. I do recommend using them all. I do recommend that urgency, but it has to be done in the right way. And that's your Persuasion IQ question of the show. That brings us to the end of our show. Thanks for listening. You can contact me at Kurt, K-U-R-T, at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Everything we talked about today is at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. We are on Spotify, iTunes, iHeart, YouTube under Maximize Your Influence. Hit like, hit subscribe, tell your family, friends, and enemies about the show, especially the people that persuade for a living, and that would be uh, everyone. We all persuade for a living, parents, teachers, leaders, managers, salespeople, it doesn't matter what you do, you persuade for a living. So understand proxemics, build better rapport, become more influential, test something you've heard on the show today, and as always, go out and persuade with power.